So we're, we're going to transition into a message time now. We are in week three of a series called Waterside, and that's why I have this little fancy thing in my drink. It is water. It's uh, Brita water, I think. And uh, anyway, if you want one, I have a few extras because Nikki got us a whole bunch down front. So if you have a little glass and you need an umbrella, so I was telling some of you last week that we're here week one, uh, we did have a palm tree and we forgot to water it. And so now it, it deflated and it was just uh, one of those things where we're like, Okay, we're going to shift the backdrop, but we've been having some fun here uh, this summer, and we hope that this is kind of like an oasis, that's the way we're thinking of it, that this would be a great time to come in and, uh, and enjoy time together. We're, we're worshiping God, and it's been an awesome time in his presence already this morning, and, and to hear, thank you, Vanessa, for being with us. We're, we're so glad that, uh, that you're here with us now, and, and that we get to continue to support you in, in the upcoming things, and, and support Kenzie and the team and what they're doing at Arrowhead this week. And, uh, and so we're in this series, Waterside. Why? Because it's summer, for one, so it's fun, but also because there are just so many stories and so many themes of water from the very first chapter, the first or second verse, second verse, I guess, of Genesis, all the way to the very last chapter of Re- Revelation. There's all this theme of water, and sometimes it's smooth sailing, and so other times it's shipwreck. That'll be for another day, but today we're going to look at Paul, Paul the Apostle, Apostle, He wrote about a third of the New Testament, and he's a great missionary, uh, so that seems to be fitting this week, and, and church planter. And uh, you know what Paul is known for? Bold resilience. Maybe resilience is a word that you've been hearing a lot of recently. Some people like to think, well, it's just weak or strong, and so it's like, oh, if you get through something, you're strong, and maybe that's the case, but this has been a time where we've really needed to be resilient. And so what we're going to look at today is, is kind of a, a story from him, but, but this past week we saw on the news, my wife got to show me the article on CBC, one of my old friends and, and roommates, Drew Wallace. We'll put a, a picture of him up on, on, the, uh, on the screen. This is him after completing uh, a race. And so he runs a long distance, and I don't mean like 5K or 10K or, or even a marathon. Uh, he trains in Odell Park. Maybe you've seen him before with his dog or even at Crab Mountain because he wants to train for elevation. But he just completed a 100-mile race just two weeks after completing 100 kilometers. And I, I don't need to do the math for you. That's pretty much like going from here to Magic Mountain. You know, which might sound good on a warm day like, like today, but with tons of elevation in, in Quebec, uh, uh, up and down, that's 100 miles in about 33, just over 33 hours straight, and two pairs of shoes. He actually took a break in about the middle of the race to have a burger, as you do, uh, to get a little bit of uh, what you need. But, you know, he's, he's packing light. He, he literally had to change his shoes partway through because I guess most of us, we wear out our shoes and we mow the lawn in them and, and just save them for walking the dog or something. But, but for him, he's got very particular shoes and that's a lot, that's a lot of wear and tear. And so uh, one thing that he said is that there's moments when you're really slow and you have to climb a hill and you don't want to climb a hill. There's nothing left in you. But then he said this, you know that you can get through and your body's capable of way more than you give it credit for. I thought that was pretty cool. This is something that he's done only in the last 10 or so years. 
and he just lives to run. And when he was finished this past race, he said that he just wanted to go to bed and sleep. I think that's fair after like 33 hours, like that's an all-nighter and then some. They often start in the evening, maybe because it's cooler and things, and then, and so do the math, you know, and, and you end, and uh, you probably feel uh, fatigued. But, but what was great is after, I think, about 100K or so, he's then able to have a, a pace car. And so the benefit of that is that you don't have to think as much because most of it is mental, isn't it, when you're, when you're running a race? Uh, even for us doing a, a short span, it's like, I think I can keep going and uh, I don't know if I can, I think I can keep going. And so what he was saying, it was, it was so helpful for the last 55 or, or so kilometers to have someone ahead of him that he could just look ahead I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep going. And I thought that was timely for what we're going to look at today. And so how do you finish the race? This is kind of a question for us today. How do you finish it? How do you continue when it's tough? Because it is tough. I heard someone ask before, where do you put the tired? You know, because you feel it. Where do you put that in your mind? How do you separate the tired so that you can continue? Because you, you can't eliminate tired, even to do a, a short run or, or up to a marathon, not, not including these ultra kind of marathon events, you need endurance. But where do you put the tired? It's got to be somewhere in your mind. At one point, Paul wrote to Timothy saying, the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety to all the Gentiles to hear. The Lord gave him strength, stood beside him. We need support for sure. There's one thing that we can learn from Paul's example is that we should continue to do what God has for you. It rhymes, but I think it's true. After studying this week, I think that's what we're going to start and, and end with, and you'll see throughout. Continue to do what God has for you. So the context today, like I said, we're waterside, aren't we? And, and so put up your feet for a moment, feel relaxed, and, uh, and so we're going to look at, at kind of a story in Acts I read Acts in its entirety to kind of prepare, and, and I landed on this spot. I wasn't sure. Uh, I knew that Vanessa was going to be coming, and so I wanted to prepare something that had to do with missions a little bit, and, and Acts is just such an exciting book. There's a lot of missionary journeys there because it's when the, the church really uh, gets its fire and it starts to spread beyond just, just Jerusalem and that area, and it, and it goes as far as Rome early on. And so Paul, he traveled by land from, from this place called Troas to to Assos, and, and there he joined Luke, who wrote uh, Acts as, as well as the Gospel of Luke, and Timothy and a few others, and they sailed to Mytilene. I think I'm pronouncing that well. I hope that's all right for you. And then the next day, they sailed past the island of Chios, and the following day, they sailed past the island of Samos. In a day later after that, they, arri they arrived at uh, uh, Miletus, and sailed past Ephesus. You've probably heard of Ephesus before because of the Ephesians. So he sailed past because he was kind of in a rush. He really wanted to get to Jerusalem uh, on time for the festival of Pentecost. And so he, he was in a rush, but when he sailed past there, um, that he realized, you know, he actually wanted to send word for the elders that were just backtracking a little bit to meet him there before they set sail again. And so this is where we're going to pick up in Acts 20. And so uh, starting, uh, said, when, when we landed at Miletus, he sent a message uh, to the elders of the church of Ephesus asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, 
I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured trials that come to me uh, from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for the Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in the Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I didn't shrink back from declaring all that God wants you to know. So, guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. And then we're going to skip down to verse 36, 7, and 8. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad, most of all, because he said they would never see him again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. Father, we thank you for your word and the exciting stories throughout Acts that Luke was able to, uh, most, of, most of which see firsthand and, and hear of what you were doing and see how your Holy Spirit w- was guiding the, the early followers and apostles. And we thank you for their work because that's why we're here today. We, we thank you for your continued guidance and we pray that we would recognize that your presence is already here among us and that we would be changed uh, most of all, that, that Lord, you would, uh, you would really speak to our hearts today. Uh, you would change our mind, maybe, uh, on, in some ways that we need it to be changed. Um, but that we would have clarity from you, that we'd be able to hear clearly and see clearly. And we just offer this time to you, speak through me. Um, let me um, kind of get out of the way here just to present what it is you have for us. And let, let us be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, so who is Paul? I mentioned a little bit about him, but just really quick. Paul is from a place called Tarsus, and he studied as a Pharisee under uh, Gamaliel in Jerusalem. And, and it's just a quick note, that, uh, and a, a quick aside, I guess, that just because we see the word Pharisee doesn't mean bad, n- not necessarily. There are definitely some issues that Jesus had with some of them by making uh, their own works, their, their self-righteousness uh, ahead of the righteousness of God, and, and some different things that were going on. But he studied under this, this guy, and he, he knew his, his scripture for sure. Um, he was there, and uh, he was there actually when they arranged um, Stephen's killing. He was actually the one that uh, they set their coats in, in front of. And so he was completely okay with that at the time, and, but, but he was actually responsible for bringing followers of Jesus back to Jerusalem in, in chains. He thought he was following God in this way, but God has other plans. He had other plans for, for Paul. His name used to be Saul. And Saul's conversion, there's this like light that comes down. He's on the road to Damascus. Per, perhaps even if you haven't read 
Acts 9, you've, you've heard that phrase, he had a road to Damascus kind of experience, and, and Jesus appears to him and, and says, you've been persecuting me, and he, he, he actually blinds him temporarily, he sends someone else to lay hands on him, he gets baptized immediately, it's, it's really an incredible thing, and it's a really good note to, for us to not give up hope on anyone's salvation. So his name was Saul, but it was changed to Paul. It's really close, right? But it is different. Uh, He was sent out on missionary journeys, and in some places he would stay for days or weeks or, or months, or Ephesus up to three years. And so there the Ephesians got to kind of see how he lived, and they got to hear him teach. And, uh, and this, what we just read, is his last in-person message to them. He'll still write to them later, but this is the last face-to-face experience he has with them. And later, he would write from perhaps Rome. I got to go to Rome, but I didn't get to see where we think his final kind of apartment was. Uh, so the next time I go back, I'm going, and you guys can come with me, okay? Does that sound good? We'll go check out where, where Paul's old stomping grounds were. But this is how we're going to begin it today. I, I think we can do this. I think there's going to be one for, for each digit that we have on our hand. So it's going to start like this. Paul had one message, and as we read in Acts twenty twenty one, he says, I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this gospel message, it's the good news, and it's the good news for everyone. There's no one excluded from this good news message. What is the gospel? What is the good news? It's the announcement. It's the announcement, but it's also the person because Jesus embodied the good news. He didn't just bring it. He is and was the good news. And Jesus, he said in Mark 1.15, the time promised by God has come. At last, the kingdom of God is near, so repent of your sins and believe the good news. So John the Baptist, he's the one that set it up for Jesus. Jesus set it up for the apostles like Paul, who set it up for the church, and the world needs to hear it, and that's why we continue to proclaim it as often as we can. At least every week we, we gather to do this. In Acts uh, twenty twenty one again, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in the Lord Jesus. So this has been the message that Paul's been echoing to everyone. So you've maybe heard, if you've heard me say it before, sometimes repent, that word gets a bad rap because you picture someone standing on their soapbox and being like, repent, turn, turn, turn. And it seems like this very aggressive negative thing, but it's actually meant to be a positive. Perhaps you've heard me say that repent would be like you're going this way and then you need to turn 180, not 360 because that would be too exciting that you would go all the way back. Sometimes people get carried away. Part of it is to turn. Turn, but the turn here is not just from your sin, but to God. The actual original word in the Greek actually means to change your mind. And so while you're maybe going this way, maybe the original illustration is okay, but there's actually a changing of your mind. Maybe you're hearing something before you even see it, but then you turn towards Jesus, you turn towards him. So repenting is kind of a change of mind and a turn. Not just a turn away from something, but a, a, a turn towards someone, Jesus. So to repent from your sin, you don't just do that. that. That would be, it seems like enough. It's not enough. You actually have to turn to God and have faith. Place your faith in the Lord Jesus. So it's repent, turn to God, have faith in Jesus. Repent, 
Turn to God, have faith in Jesus. Change your mind about how you're living and turn to God because he's the source of all life. Have faith in Jesus, really just rest in him. He's done the work for us and so we get to celebrate that. That's the good news. We don't achieve it on our own, but we do have a responsibility to have a change of heart and mind and to turn towards God and have faith. In Jesus, have faith in him. He is Lord. He has risen from the dead. Faith in the resurrection of Jesus actually gives us hope for our resurrection, our resurrection in the future. And and it's alluded to even in baptism, which we're going to celebrate next week when you go under the water. It's like your old life is going under. And when you come up out of the water, it's both representing that initial Easter and it's representing your own life. The old life is a way the new life has come. Isn't that good news? Paul wrote to Timothy, who took over leading uh, this church in Ephesus, and he said, Jesus Christ, a descendant of King David, was raised from the dead. This is the good news I preach. To continue to have that in in our frame of of reference, that Easter is actually an everyday kind of celebration. The resurrection of Jesus represents a future resurrection that we would have, but a new life can begin immediately when we repent, we turn to God, when we place our faith in Jesus, we have new life immediately. Baptism is then just kind of like the initiation. It's the next step if you haven't done it already. After Paul's conversion, he immediately began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is, being about Jesus, he is indeed the Son of God. This Paul, remember, who studied under uh, Gamaliel, he studied, he would have known the entirety of their scriptures inside and out. But remember, he was in favor of the killing of Stephen, who was uh, you know, an initial follower spreading the news about Jesus. But all of a sudden, somehow he's had this change of heart and mind, literally because Jesus appeared to him, but also he's looking back at the scriptures, and all of a sudden he sees it pointing to Jesus. Isn't that good? And so he immediately goes out preaching. And at first, the people seeing him, isn't this the man that was just dragging people back to Jerusalem in chains? Uh, They're kind of terrified of him, but all of a sudden, he's boldly preaching about Jesus. That is a a, a really good testimony. And so this became his life's mission and purpose. And so I said he had, uh, you know, one kind of mission, one message. Well, he has one purpose, Acts 20 and 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless... I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. He experienced it. He experienced that grace, and then he needed to share that. And so, yes, he had an assignment, and he was going with that, but it also came out of the the change that happened deep within him. I love how the message writes that same verse. He says, what matters most to me is to finish what God started The job the master Jesus gave me of letting everyone I meet know about this incredibly extravagant generosity of God. Isn't that awesome? Everyone I meet, I'm going to let them know. And he had, he didn't just have friendly faces coming at him. Remember, so, so two weeks ago, we were looking at how Jesus calmed a storm. And, and that seemed kind of cool because these fishermen are in a boat. Jesus is sleeping after a long day of teaching. And he's sleeping in the back. And as they're going across, they're like, don't you even care that we're about to drown? And then he just, he wakes up and he speaks to the wind. He speaks to the waves. Both are still. They're more terrified afterwards. 
words. It's, it's awesome. And then the second week of our series, they get to the other side, and there's this man that, that even if they chain him, he'll break these chains. He has um, apparently all these unclean spirits in him. And, and, and his life is kind of without hope. He's been separated from his community. Jesus actually calms that storm that was equally as violent as that physical storm inside of him. And then at the end, remember, he's sitting there in his right mind. We're not sure how he got his clothes on. That, that was missing from my study last week. But somehow he's sitting there in his right mind. Again, people are terrified that this man who once was a terror has then encountered Jesus. There's this incredible change. And so this Paul has experienced a change of his own, and he continues to see it everywhere he goes. And in Acts 21, 13, and 14, in the very next chapter, after they sail on a little bit, he says to the people trying to plead with him not to go and, and, and be jailed, he says, I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, uh, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. What I found interesting about this, so Paul's final journey is a parallel to Jesus' heading. He's resolute, he's, he's pointed towards Jerusalem, but Paul, we know, will later go on to Rome. But God made Paul a witness from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. If you could see that on a map and consider that they didn't have airplanes or cars at the time, uh, sailing would take a while to get there. Going by land would take even longer. Uh, but but he, he actually had quite a lot of ground to cover many places in between. So again, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a Jew to the letter of the law. But now he's following Jesus by the grace of God. That's a, a huge change. He went from trying to destroy the church to giving his life to actually building up the church. Paul's assignment was to preach to the Gentiles. That's everyone that's not Jewish, by the way. And he was considered the apostle to the Gentiles. And he urged people to continue to rely on the grace of God because he had experienced it in a, in a, in a really uh, personal way. And so he continued to plead with people and, and to, to encourage them to rely on that grace. He relied on the grace of God, and that's why Paul was not an entitled leader. You could look, we could do a whole study on leadership from Paul, what to do, what not to do, but he wasn't actually an entitled leader. He was empowered, and he was empowered by Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, and so it was easy for him to empower other leaders, and so empowered leaders are supposed to empower leaders. That's what we're supposed to do, not to be uh, entitled. He's someone who, he did have a title, but he actually didn't think of it as very much other than just, just a means and, and a clarification of his assignment. And so I think that's awesome. Mark Sayers, he says that a leader, as a leader, my public ministry is completely connected to the hidden spaces in which I'm saying yes to God. And I, I think that's true. The places behind the scenes when no one's looking, the way that you say yes to God there that will leak out in other places in your life. And uh, that's a good word. Steve Deneff, he was one of our speakers a couple weeks ago at Beulah Camp down in Brown's Flat. Well, he said that sometimes righteous people suffer, not because they're out of God's will, but because they are in it. Not because we lack faith, but because we have it. I, I want to say that again just so that that's clear because this can be kind of confusing. Sometimes righteous people, you could interpret maybe good people, sometimes righteous people suffer, not because they are out of God's will, but because they are in it, not because we lack faith, 
but because we have it. Jesus actually promised this to us in John 16, 33, that I've told you all these things. This is in red letters popping out uh, off the page to me that it's the words of Jesus. I've told you these things so that you may have peace in me. So that, that's a promise. But then he said another promise. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And so I just, I just need to, to kind of carefully, lovingly tell you that if your version of the gospel leaves out trials and sorrows, it isn't the gospel of Jesus. It just isn't. I'm sorry to say that. There is peace promised, but there's also trials and sorrows promised. Suffering is, is often part of it, as Jesus suffered. I, I read this week that uh, a lot of people consider the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they consider it a passion narrative with a long intro. Passion meaning that the last um, few moments in, in, in really the last few hours of Jesus' life as he was tortured and, and, and really uh, ended up being crucified and dying on our behalf. That's the passion of, of Jesus Christ and that really the gospels are setting that up and he continually will tell his disciples and followers that the Son of Man must Suffer, And they're like, no, Lord, it can't be true. It can't be true. And he's like, no, 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 look at the scriptures. It, it says he must suffer. And he goes and he does that. He says to Paul, uh, he actually says to someone else about Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And, so, and he did, but he did incredible things uh, because of the mission that Jesus uh, put him on and because of the Holy Spirit giving him uh, the strength and empowering him as well. Paul demonstrated his faith in God by being confident in his plan no matter the circumstance or consequence. And he told Timothy, again, that, that leader that went to lead that church in Ephesus, he told him, don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Don't be afraid of suffering, Timothy, is what he's telling him. And so as he trained Timothy up, he let him know, you're, you're going to suffer. Uh, there's going to be people that don't want to hear this. Preach it anyway. Tell them anyway. Paul himself, he faced danger, in his wording, danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. That's everywhere, pretty much. He wasn't flying at the time, so that covers all of it. He faced danger everywhere, is the short way of putting it. Five different times he received 39 lashes. Remember, Jesus experienced that once before then being led out to be crucified. Uh, so five different times Paul experienced those 39 lashes. Three different times he was beaten with rods. Three times he was shipwrecked. And once he spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. And, and there's definitely more. But what he wrote to the Corinthians is, besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Because he didn't just lead at one church. He actually set up a number of different churches and went and continued to try to empower them both in person and through letters. Thankfully, we have some of them. That's how we know so much about what we're supposed to do. But his purpose remained. He was resilient because of his concern for the church. And he believed that there's one church, Acts 2028 20, says, so guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. So Jesus purchased his church 
with his own blood. Isn't that good news? Jesus purchased his church. It belongs to him with his own blood. We are valuable to God. His church is valuable. But what is the church? I think sometimes we need a kind of a change of heart and mind about what church is. Well, church isn't a place we meet. We do meet here, but it's actually that the church is who we are. And so we just happen to gather in this location. We could gather somewhere else, uh, but we, we already have this place, so let's gather here, you know. Uh, but, but the church, there's, there's actually lowercase c and there's capital C. And so we're a local church, and thankfully we are. Uh, and, and there's a bigger church that we are just a small part of, but we have the same uh, mission, it's, it's part of God's plan for the world until Christ returns and we're guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. I've been appointed to lead at this church and to, to feed uh, you here, um, but it's his church. It's, it's not mine. I'm, I'm just simply here to, to serve and be responsible uh, under that. We all belong to Jesus. I, I've just been entrusted and empowered to lead in, in this time for however long he has set for me, but I'm really meant to be an under-shepherd to the good shepherd, and so there's always a modeling for us. I, I love how this author writes, Christian leadership is leading people into growth so that they may grow in Christ-likeness. And so if, if, if you're going to be led here, hopefully you're led towards Christ-likeness. That would be the point and the goal that we would all become closer. I need to become more like Jesus, and so do you, and let us help each other in that. Ideally, a church is a group of people who would embody the image and character of Christ. Ideally, that's the case. Sometimes we fall short of that in practice, but ideally that would be the case in that really we would be helping to make earth as in heaven, and that because now is the time and the kingdom is near, that's the gospel message, and so we should be making the places that we encounter more and more as in heaven. That's our goal as a church. Isn't that good? When Paul first traveled to Ephesus on the coast, he met several disciples there. There's a cool encounter just a few chapters before. And they knew of the ministry of John the Baptist. He's the one that came just before Jesus, telling everyone to repent and, and, and get ready because Jesus is, or the, the, the Lord, before he actually knew who it was, he was letting people know the Messiah is coming. I'm here just simply to, to prepare the way. That was John's purpose. But he was baptizing people in the Jordan River to be forgiven of their sins. And so these people actually knew about this. So John was the one preparing for Jesus. And Paul had to make it clear to them that, that John's baptism was for repentance of sin. But then he says that John himself told people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. And then Paul then baptized 12 of them in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's this powerful moment where he lays hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. And, and really that's how the church began in Ephesus with these 12 people. It sounds a little bit familiar, right? And later he wrote uh, to remind them this, that there's one baptism. That's why we're celebrating next week. There's one baptism. He wrote to them in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, that for there is one body, and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. So my challenge to you, again, there's a few people already signed up and we're excited. And even if there was only one, it would be worth doing that. We're going to go down to the river. So you need to get baptized next Sunday, July 24th. Doesn't that sound crazy? We're now at the tipping point in the month where we're halfway through July. Please slow down, right? Uh, It's an interesting time, but we're excited to do this. And so if you haven't been baptized yet, what a great time to do it. And if you're not sure that you're ready today, that's okay. You have some time. And just as a heads up, next week I'm going to speak all about baptism. Uh, There's four accounts of of the Lord Jesus' baptism in in Scripture. Uh, There's accounts of other people's. We've said it before that we don't see in the New Testament an unbaptized Christian. We see that that people, they receive Jesus. Again, they, they repent. They turn to God. They place their faith in Jesus. What's the next thing? They get baptized. I love that. And so just a heads up, that's what I'm talking about uh, next Sunday. And so have you received Jesus, but you haven't been baptized? Well, then let's do it. That's the next thing to do. Have you placed your faith in him? I'm going to ask you some simple questions when you're in the water, just down in the Nashwalk. Paul, he actually got baptized directly after his conversion. Once it was clear to him, let's do this. And he, and he did it. He was obedient uh, to that. What did Jesus say to his disciples before he ascended into heaven? Go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And so it's my responsibility to make sure you're getting baptized. So if you haven't done it yet, you good? Okay, let's, let's do that. Uh, baptism's your next step after placing your faith in Jesus. It can be instant. If next week someone receives Jesus, we're we're baptizing them immediately. We're not going to wait. We're not going to put them through a class. Not going to make it hard for them. We're going to dunk them. Go under the water, representing the old life is gone. It represents Christ's burial, his death, his his burial. When we come up and we do, we bring you out of the water, don't worry. It's, It's being raised to new life. It's representing something that's happened on the inside, on the outside, for the public to know. Something that could have happened in private is then proclaim down in the Nashwalk River. I'm excited to do that next week. Paul also has one prayer. And so we're just getting ready to wrap up. The band can come in a moment. Uh, there's this one prayer that he, he shares. And, and it's actually a prayer for himself as, as well. This is a good reminder for us. He says, and pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. That's why I said the gospel is for everyone. Because it is, and that is what he wants. He wants prayer to know, how, how do I have the right words? Uh, I want to trust that the Holy Spirit's giving me the right words, allowing me to speak it boldly. I, I pray for that too. I pray for, for you so that that would be true of you. Uh, last week, wasn't it uh, exciting for those of us that were here? We actually ended, it was a little bit spontaneous, a little bit risky, but we, I started by sharing a, just a, a brief word of testimony of how Jesus got a hold of my life when I was 16 and the change that that made. And then a few different people uh, somewhat spontaneously shared theirs. You can do that anytime. It doesn't have to be with a microphone. And so that, that's awesome. And so would it be a prayer not just to proclaim the, the words of Scripture, but the words that you know are true, that the way that Jesus has already changed your heart, your life, uh, would you be bold enough to go and have the right words, trusting the Holy Spirit to guide you as you do that? That would be my prayer for you, for the right words, that we would pray and rely on the Holy Spirit, that it would actually be God's boldness and not our own, that we would follow Jesus, whatever 
assignment he has for us that we would continue. You need to pray for your pastor. I have an assignment. I need to continue that assignment faithfully as as long as he allows me to do it. So pray for me as well. I need to pray for you. You also have assignments, uh, a a variety of uh, of different assignments, and, and maybe you don't have yours yet. Maybe it's not clear. Well, I would pray that it would become clear for you today, but there's definitely one that we share in together if you call this church your home. It's to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so uh, you're part of it. If you've already been baptized, pray for someone that needs to get baptized because that's part of that, that really simple mission. Go and do this. Well, we're right here. Let's do it. We're doing it next Sunday. So let's join on the water side. Oh, isn't that convenient? This is the series we're in. Well, let's do that next week. Week and, and baptize, but even if there were only one, that one life is, is worth it to represent that and to celebrate that. And then we're going to have a feed. We're going to have a barbecue. It's going to be so much fun. But my question for you is, what is your next step if you haven't done that? On, online as well, please type in, I need to get baptized. If that's true, go online. Uh, go to crosspointchurch.ca slash baptism. Fill out the form there. We've already had some filled out, and we're really excited to baptize you next week if you haven't already done it. So no matter what it is, continue to do what God has for you. Pray that I would continue to do what God has for me and I'm gonna continue to pray that you would continue to do what God has for you. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example of Paul and and as we're thinking of Vanessa, as we're thinking of Kenzie and and others who uh, near and far are are ministering, they have assignments from you, either temporary or long-term. Uh, we thank you. I, I thank you for the, the assignment that you've given me, and, and I just pray that you would give me the right words, that you'd give me the boldness. But there's so many here that can be equipped and empowered, that your Holy Spirit can guide them as they go, even today and throughout the, the week, whoever they're encountering, that, uh, God, you'd be setting up uh, div- divine appointments, that uh, they, they would meet someone who just desperately needs your hope, uh, they need you and that you would be an encouragement. And, and even for those who already know you, that, that you would help us to continue to encourage one another, to lift one another up, that we would have that bold resilience like Paul, that's similar to a runner running not just a short race, but one that we, we might not even know how long it is, but that we would trust you, that, that the Lord, similar to how Paul shared with Timothy, that the Lord was standing by my side. He was providing strength for me. Why? He loves me. He's provided so much grace for me, but he has an assignment for me to share this good news with others. And so, Father, we thank you for that good news announcement that you yourself embodied. Would we also embody that message? Would we uh, show what what you've been working on us um, in private, the way we say yes to you? Would that leak out in our public walk as we walk a little bit more like you each day, God? Would you uh, make us more Christ-like? And now as we just um, turn it over to uh, a moment to, to be led in, in, in worship and, and singing, would we continue to experience uh, your love, your grace, your presence in this place here? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.